0: Well, good morning and welcome to Christ Church. My name is Pete Stearns and I'm our pastor of Family Ministries and I've been looking forward to joining you in your living rooms, your dining rooms, or perhaps even your kitchens as you prepare for your day while also streaming these services. Right now, we are living in a time of uncertainty, in a time, quite frankly, of unprecedented fear, And in the midst of these emotions, it can become easy for us to tune out our Lord and Savior. But I am convicted that Scripture tells us that joy that comes from the resurrection of our Lord that we celebrated last week can overpower any of these emotions. And so this morning, as we come together for worship, set aside those anxieties Set aside the fears, set aside your insecurities, and dwell in the presence of your Lord. Worship in the midst of his triumphant joy. Would you join us together in praising our Lord?
1: The same God that never fails Will not fail me now You won't fail me now You're waiting The same guy who's never late Is working all things out You're working all things out Yes, I will you July In the lowest valley Yeah
2: Did you take in those words we just sang? I count on one thing, the same God that never fails will not fail me now. Do you believe that? Yes. Do you wanna believe it? In the chorus we said, yes, I will lift you high, even when I'm in that lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Yes, I will sing for joy, even when my heart is heavy. All my days. Yes, I will. Friends, that is a witness. That is a story that needs to be told. We will praise our God even in the difficult times. One of my favorite psalms comes from Psalm 107. uh, And it simply says this in verse 2. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Another translation says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let those whose life God has touched, those who believe in God, let them say so. I don't know what's going on in your life. I know there's a lot of things going on in a lot, maybe all of our lives. But let me encourage you with this. Do not waver in your story. Do not waver in your confidence in God. Don't be tempted to change it. Continue to praise him, even even when it's hard. In fact, let's do that now. Let's say, Yes, I will, as we continue to glorify our God. and proclaim you as God. Lord, we have a story to tell because of your faithfulness and our confidence in you, even in the valleys. And Lord, I know there are some very real valleys that many are experiencing. God, there is sickness, there's grief, there's worry, anxiety. God, I know there's people that have Recently lost their job or they're wondering this week if they're going to have a job to come back to, God, there's some needing provision and food. God, these are real. These are real valleys. But God, we're called to remain close to you. In Psalm 23, these words just wash over us. It says, he, meaning you, God, he refreshes and restores my soul and my life. He leads me beside paths of righteousness and goodness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the dark and sunless valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil and I will not be afraid for you are with me and you are close beside me, your rod to protect me and your staff to guide me, they comfort and console me. So Lord, we will choose to praise and glorify you this day. Lord, it's all those in the sound of this prayer who have joined in prayer together in the powerful and confident name of Jesus, we close this prayer together by saying, amen. Amen. Well, friends, welcome. Welcome. I'm so excited that you have joined us in worship today. Some of you are with us every week. Some of you are joining us for the very first time, and I'm so glad you have because you've not just found a church service online, you found a community that you now get to be a part of. We are in this together, and this community uh, is linked together and just loves, prays, supports, and encourages one another, so I'm so glad you're here. All of you can participate with us during our service, you can engage with our chat hosts online, Um, but remember that we are connected, we are one. Even though we're scattered all over, we are connected By the Spirit, one heart, one mind, and we're in it together. Sally is one of my good friends, and she has some things that she wants to share with you, and she's going to be doing it from her own location. Sally?
3: Well, as Eric said, my name is Sally. Um, I'm a longtime worshiper at Christ Church, and I'm so thrilled to welcome you this morning, even though it's from my home, as you are all at your homes, too. If you are joining us for the first time, we are so thrilled to have you with us. You can join in a chat online, or you can click the New Here button, and we'll find ways to connect with you. But welcome. If you are needing help in any way, or you would like prayer, please feel free to email at help at ChristChurch.us, or call the church office. We would love to help in any way that we can. Many things um, are changing in our world, but one thing that hasn't changed is our student ministry at Christ Church. It is still vibrant and going strong. Um, Let me show you a little bit and tell you about it. Our uh, our middle school ministry is called CAL and that stands for Cloud of Witnesses and our high school ministry is Koinonia and these leaders have found all kinds of creative ways to connect with the students. They've had Zoom calls, they've had YouTube meetings, they've had games and wonderful wonderful worship times and it's great to see that these kids are still so engaged. Thank you for your gifts and offerings that help to keep these programs going and raise up a next generation of believers. If you know someone who would like to connect with our high school or middle school ministry, go to our website, um, go to the family page, and there'll be all kinds of information on how they can get involved. They can jump in at any time. We teach our students that it is a joy to give and that our God loves it when we do give and even our youngest kids at church here have found um, ways to express their joy they have given offerings by stopping by and dropping off in drop boxes that we have at both campuses their offerings along with thank you notes and these thank you notes mean so much to everyone We um, know that right now, while we're online, a lot of giving is through checks or through our Push Pay app. You can drop those checks off or you can mail them in, but you can also text and you'll see um, a number that you can text an offering to, and we appreciate everything that you have done to keep our ministries going. When our hearts are focused on God, amazing things happen. I find one way that I really connect is through music. So, as you listen to this next song, take some time to to connect, to thank him for all the things he is still doing in our church and in your life. Thank you.
4: I'm
1: a
0: Good morning, everyone. I'm Pete Stearns, and as I said before, I'm our pastor of Family Ministries. Uh, Would you take a moment to receive God's word with me uh, by entering into a time of prayer? Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you that, Lord, even though we cannot be together, you are present among us. Lord, we pray that in the midst of this quarantine, we would experience you in a new and real way. Lord, we pray that even though we fear the anxiety that presses down upon us, that, Lord, you would free us from that. And we would instead be able to live into your overwhelming joy. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, I will admit that during this quarantine, I've spent a little bit too much time on social media. But as I've perused my friends' posts and my newsfeed, I've begun to recognize that many of my friends and family have actually invested in new habits and activities during this extended period of time in their homes. You see, some of my friends have become puzzle masters, and seemingly each and every day they put together thousand-piece puzzles and post them online to display their accomplishments. Other friends have undertaken new home renovation projects. They've painted the living room or perhaps worked on the landscaping in the yard. And still others have embarked on entirely new hobbies altogether. In fact, I have one friend that has begun filming YouTube videos teaching parents how to create caricatures of their children's favorite cartoons using the medium of pancake batter and a hot griddle. Well, I have a confession. During this shelter-in-place, I have not picked up any new hobbies. I have not been practicing any new habits or activities. Instead, every spare moment of my life has been spent changing the dirty diapers of my newborn son, Archer, or binge-watching British crime dramas with my wife. You see, I've said it before, but my wife and I's guilty pleasure is watching a good murder mystery. And if you have any recommendations, I would love to have them shoot me a message sometime. But you see, every murder mystery starts basically the same way. We have a dramatic camera shot of a room in which a heinous crime has clearly been committed. The camera pans across and we catch glimpses of pieces of evidence that paint only a small fraction of the picture of what happened. And seemingly, there are never any eyewitnesses that can tell us what happened in reality. I just wish that one time, one of these murder mysteries, a guy would walk in from the room next door and say, Oh yeah, I was there. I saw what happened. It was my brother, and he buried the weapon in the storm drain in the front yard. Uh, Oh, and by the way, he's staying at my Uncle John's house until all of this blows over. Let me give you the address so you can go and arrest him. You see, that would make for very clean police work, but not very compelling television. No, instead, the witnesses have always fled the scene. And they've done so because of one of two motivating factors. Either they have suppressed their testimony because they have something to gain by remaining silent, aka they've taken a bribe, they've been paid off by some sort of mob boss, they are going to inherit a fortune that will set them and their family up for the rest of their lives, and so they remain quiet. Or they have much to lose by sharing their testimony. Maybe they might be implicated in the crime itself, or perhaps they have been threatened by the criminal, that their life is at risk. And so we are left with the detectives in the show to piece together these seemingly unrelated clues to paint a broader narrative of what took place in this empty room. Well, as I've reflected on the Easter narrative over this past week, I've come to realize that the tomb on that first Easter Sunday is very similar to one of the crime scenes in these murder mysteries. You see, Mary and the other women have come to the tomb to pay their respects to their Savior, their friend, and their son. And to their horror, they find that the seal has been broken. The stone has been rolled back from the tomb, and the body of their dear friend and child is nowhere to be found. There is an angel sitting there sharing with them that Jesus is not there. He is risen. And, like every good murder mystery, the only human eyewitnesses are nowhere to be found. Today, we're going to take a look at the stories of those eyewitnesses, and I want to challenge us to see where our lives might resonate with theirs. You see, the guards were at the tomb. They witnessed the resurrection of the Lord and Savior Jesus, yet their story has remained suppressed throughout the entirety of history. And they, like the witnesses in a murder drama, have very compelling reasons to keep their mouths shut. Reasons that I think are fairly convicting for myself as I think about my own testimony to the resurrection of my Lord and Savior. So let's look a little bit at the backstory here. The Pharisees and the Sanhedrin, the high priests, have gone to Pontius Pilate. They have just crucified this criminal, Jesus Christ, and now they want to seek to assure that his body is not stolen from the tomb because if his body is taken from the tomb, then suddenly the narrative in which Jesus had articulated throughout his ministry would seem to be apparently true. And so they want to assure that this crucifixion does not go to waste. And so they go into the palace of Pontius Pilate and they turn to him and say, you need to offer us some sort of protection. Seal the tomb, guard it with your soldiers. I imagine Pontius Pilate is rolling his eyes because if you'll remember, he found Jesus to be innocent, In fact, the only reason that he sent him to the cross was to appease the angry mobs of Jewish men and women who were riled up by these very same religious leaders that are asking for a favor. But he probably thinks to himself that we've already gone this far, I might as well finish the job. And so he sends a troop of soldiers to stand guard over the tomb. And it is in this moment that we enter into the scene of the crime. Matthew 28, verse 2 through 4 says, There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow, the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Now, I want to take a particularly close look at this last sentence. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. In order to be afraid, these guards must have been conscience. You see, the story that was painted later by the Pharisees is that these guards had fallen asleep on the job, but it is clear in Scripture that they witnessed firsthand the resurrection of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In fact, the appearance of the angelic being was so powerful in their lives that it literally shook them to the core. They collapsed on the ground and fainted in Their fear. So now we're left wondering why did this life altering encounter not shape their testimony? Why do we not have a significant passage of scripture dedicated to the testimony and witness of the guards that stood there and watched as Jesus was raised from the dead? Well, you see, like those witnesses we talked about before, they have compelling reasons to remain silent. In Matthew 28, 11, it says, While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. Again, this is important to recognize that only some of the guards went back to the authorities to report what happened, while others must have fled. It's important to recognize this because there are some that would like to articulate that there was only one guard and that that guard had fallen asleep on the job. But instead, we know that there were multiple guards because they went off in different directions. And now they come into the room with the high priests. And it says, when the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of Money. Now, this is fairly curious here. The soldiers have gone and they have shared the story of what they have just witnessed. And the response of the chief priests is to offer them a large sum of money in order to taint their testimony. This is particularly curious because these soldiers have trained their entire lives to protect that which their authorities tell them to watch over. They are the best of the best. They are the finest the Roman Empire has to offer. And they know that if their direct superior tells them something, they are to do as they say without question. But here, the authorities whom they have been assigned to offer them a sum of money to do what they are being told. Which, to me at least, indicates that they really, truly witnessed something that changed their lives. Because even if it indicted them, even if it would have been criminal, it was their duty to do as the chief priest told them to do. But instead, their testimony was suppressed Because they felt that the treasure the world had to offer was greater than the treasure that is rooted in eternity. They thought the gift that the Pharisees could bestow on them was greater than the gift that had been bestowed upon them in witnessing the resurrection of this apparent God. And so... The Pharisees tell them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. Now, this narrative is rather preposterous. You see, the idea that the disciples would have the courage to arrive at a tomb that is heavily guarded by Roman soldiers, to break the seal, to roll the stone away, And to steal away the body of their friend is absurd. Because remember, at this moment in history, the disciples are practicing their own kind of social distancing. They are quarantined, isolated in hiding. We'll remember that just a few chapters ago, Peter, whom Jesus loved, denied even knowing Jesus on three separate occasions to simple commoners, because he was afraid that even being associated with Jesus might lead to the same outcomes as his dear friend. You see, there's a glaring omission at the crucifixion scene. We see that Jesus' mother is there, but his closest friends are not. The men that have stood by him throughout his ministry are in hiding They don't even stand in solidarity with their Lord and Savior in his final moments because they are afraid that if they are caught at the scene of the crucifixion, then they too will be persecuted. So the notion that these men who are too afraid to even acknowledge that they knew Jesus would come and steal his body out from the nose of well-trained Roman soldiers is lunacy. And yet, that is the testimony of the guards. A testimony that they have produced because of their greed and their desire to receive the riches of the world. But it doesn't stop there. It goes on. And the Pharisees continue and say, if this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. And this, again, is very important because we look at this word, if. This word, if, indicates a threat. You see, because there is really no reason that this report would not have gotten to Pontius Pilate. The Pharisees go to Pontius Pilate. They ask for Roman soldiers to guard the tomb to make sure that the disciples do not steal the body. The Roman soldiers stand before the tomb and seemingly fail at their job. The one task that they had, these well-trained, highly capable soldiers had was to make sure that a dead body didn't suddenly disappear. And they could not complete even the simplest of tasks. If I were one of these high priests, the first thing I would have done would be run off to Pontius Pilate and share about the inadequacies of his royal guard. But you see, the Pharisees recognize that something bigger took place here. And so instead, they threaten the soldiers. They say, if this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money. And did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. You see, there was a significant risk to the soldiers in fabricating this story in which they fell asleep on duty and failed to protect that which they guarded. In fact, in that time, if you were to fail at an assignment as mundane as this, Certainly, your livelihood would be lost, and likely your life would be as you were executed for your failures. And so, these soldiers are fearful for their lives. And because of that, they seek the protection of the only people that can offer them safety amidst these shortcomings the high priests. If the high priests stand behind them, then surely Pontius Pilate will not indict them for their shortcomings. Over the past few weeks, in the midst of this quarantine, I will admit that I've felt a certain level of anxiety. And one of the only times that I'm truly at peace is when I sit with my two-year-old son at the front window of our house, reading our Bibles together. My Bible filled with, her, filled with words and his filled with pictures. Each morning we've gotten into a ritual of sitting together, of reading our Bibles, of me drinking my coffee and Shepherd looking out at the birds and the squirrels beyond. In fact, uh, just earlier this week I forgot to do my devotionals one morning. And Shepherd came to me holding his little picture Bible and my Bible in his hands and said, Daddy, I'm going to read my Bible. You can read yours too if you would like. And let me tell you, as a pastor, there is very little more convicting than being reminded to stay consistent in Scripture by a toddler. But we sit together and we read. We look out the window together at the world that is passing us by. We live just a block down the street from the Porsche dealer in Westmont. And so it's a particular joy for Shepard as the race cars zoom past our house. But this time and quiet and observation has been a place for me to release my fears, to release my anxieties and dwell in the presence of God. But you see, Shepard and I look out the window in a very different manner. I sit back in my comfortable chair with my feet up, sipping on my warm coffee, while Shepherd presses his face and hands against the once clean and clear window. Whatever it is that was on his hands from the snack or activity that he has just completed is now smeared across this pane of glass, The grease from his forehead and nose are permanently stained on the window. He breathes heavily and the saliva creates a a mold for a mask that could be made of his face at a later time. You see, he wants to be up close to the action. The idea of social distancing is lost on a two-year-old. He wants to see what's on the other side of that window. And the only way to do so is to press himself against it. Well, as you can imagine, when he runs off to his next activity, there is often a significant amount of residue that's left over on the once clear glass. And so my wife and I have become very familiar with the Windex bottle. And we spray it and carefully clean it until once again, we can look out at the world beyond through this transparent pane of glass. Well, as I've been reflecting on that, I've been struck by the reality that our lives are a window through which the world perceives the truth and reality of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. You see, our lives are the clearest form of the gospel that our neighbors may ever read and our testimony and witness have significant value in articulating the impact of our relationship with our Lord and Savior but just like shepherd we allow the filth of our life to taint that witness we allow the dirt and grime on our hands and faces to tamper with our testimony. And we produce only a half-truth of the reality of God's impact on our lives. You see, I can relate with these guards because I, too, suppress the testimony of my Lord and Savior in my own life. And I resonate with the motivations that they experienced to do so. You see, we would probably like to assume that unlike the guards, we wouldn't sell the testimony of Christ completely. We would like to look back at them and shake our fists and say, if only you told the truth, then the world would know. But the reality is, is that we too practice these habits on a daily basis. We too obscure the truth of the resurrection of Christ through the ways that we live our lives. We too have accepted the bribes of the world and given in to the fear that surrounds us in a way that has suppressed the testimony of Christ. We don't have to look far to realize how true this really is. Just last week, We professed our witness to Christ, saying, He is risen. He is risen indeed. It littered social media. It was a common greeting at family gatherings. And if you walked around your neighborhood, you probably met far more Christians than you ever knew existed. And yet, as we find ourselves just days after the celebration of that resurrection, our testimony has been silenced. And like the guards, the first reason that we suppress the testimony of Christ's resurrection in our lives is that we give into greed. You see, we probably haven't collected a sum of money for our silence, but we have become greedy in our expectations of our lives. How many of us have altered the testimony of Christ due to the way that we expect to live our lives? We're greedy for comfort. We're greedy for wealth. And so to the rest of our neighbors, we produce a window to the testimony of Christ that is seen through the tint of possessions and commodities. We tell a story about Jesus Christ that is not defined by his radical call to leave everything in our lives behind us and take only our cloak and our staff, but instead a testimony of Jesus Christ that says, our God wants me to be wealthy, our God wants me to be comfortable, our God wants me to have multiple cars, our God wants me to have the most beautiful home, immaculate gardens. And in doing so, we tell a half-truth of the resurrection of Christ. We are greedy for our ideologies. How many of us have tainted the testimony of Christ due to our political affiliations? We post on social media without differentiating between our thoughts on politics and our thoughts on religion, and suddenly we leave the world to ask, are Christians a political party or a religious movement? And in doing so, we tie the testimony of Christ to fallen politicians. I am greedy for my time. In fact, I think the thing that obscures my testimony most is my belief that my time is my own. I'm often convicted that I need to be more active with my neighbors, more active in sharing a testimony with them, more active in making my home a place in which they feel comfort and safety coming in and experiencing the gospel of Christ. But in four years in my home, I have had my neighbors share a meal with me once. Why? Well, because I have two little boys. I just don't have time because uh, I have youth group and I have soccer practice because I need to visit or travel and visit family because I need to binge watch all of those murder mysteries and, and I just don't have enough time in my life to give back to everyone. But in doing so, I suppress the testimony of Christ and how he loves me by painting a lens that says, my God doesn't have time for you. The second way that we suppress the testimony of Christ's resurrection is when we give into fear. Just like those Roman soldiers, we have reasons to hide our love for our Lord and Savior. Because we are afraid that If we are vocal about our testimony, if we are consistent in sharing the truth, then perhaps it will hinder our trajectory at our workplaces. Maybe we won't achieve the success that we so desperately desire, and so we shelter our testimony from our colleagues, and our faith and relationship with Jesus is only evident in the circles of friends and family that are closest to us. Many of our students suppress this testimony for fear that they will be found out as Christ followers and that will exclude them from the best parties, that will keep them from attaining the popularity that they desire, that will leave them much like the disciples as outcasts and misfits. Right now we are living in a time of unprecedented fear We can feel the anxiety pressing in on our lives as we shelter ourselves in our home, as we cover our faces with masks of a deadly virus that we cannot see. And I don't know if you are like me, but that fear is oftentimes winning the battle for my testimony. Just the other day, my friend, a pastor down in St. Louis, shared a story with me. He had gone to the grocery store to get some of the essentials and he was practicing all of his social distancing. He had his mask on, he had his gloves, he was ready with his hand sanitizer. He was quick, in and out. He just had to get the very essentials to provide for his family. And as he was loading things into the trunk of the car, he heard a voice and he was immediately filled with dread. You see, it was a woman who was clearly homeless and she didn't want money. She didn't want a handout. Instead, she needed a ride to shelter. My friend shared how torn he was in this moment, afraid of potentially being infected by this person. He had this internal struggle. Do I let this person in my car or do I deny them? And he said in that moment, he had a vision of Jesus Touching the lepers. And so he opened up the back door of his car and practiced as much distancing as he could and drove this woman to the shelter, knowing that in the midst of this shelter in place, there would be no one else that could get her to a safe place that night. This was a particularly convicting story for me because. I don't think I would have had the same response. I think I would have suppressed that image of Jesus caring for the least of these for fear that the least of these might negatively impact my comfort, my safety, and my health. But you see, this man allowed the testimony of Christ to stand above his fallen emotions of fear. I think it's powerful to look back at this narrative, at the response of Mary and the other women because it provides a startling juxtaposition to that of the guards. And I think it resonates in the midst of the experience that we are having during these uncertain times. Matthew 28, 8 says this. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy and ran to tell his disciples. I love that the author says they were afraid. In the midst of this moment, they were overcome with fear. Why? Because if Jesus was resurrected from the dead, if Jesus really was alive, that means everything that he said was true. That means that radical call to step into the discomfort, into the pain of the world was actually true. And that meant that they had to step out of hiding, that they could no longer isolate themselves. Instead, they had to step boldly into a world that hated them, into a world that wanted to crucify them, in a world that would pursue them and hurt them, in a world that would be filled with persecution, and they needed to boldly share the testimony of their resurrected Lord. But in spite of that fear, in spite of those anxieties, they were filled with joy and they ran to tell his disciples. They allowed joy to triumph over fear and suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshiped him. Because they allowed joy to be constant in their life because they allowed the joy of Christ to be triumphant over their fallen emotions. They met God. They fell at his feet and they worshiped him. You see, I am not advocating, and I want you to hear this. I'm not advocating that we break our social distancing, that we step out of our quarantines. But I am challenging us to think about what emotion is ruling our life. Because I know that by staying home, we are actually as Christians caring for the least of these. By being patient in our quarantine, we are lifting up the most vulnerable. But at the same time, I think we can do more. I think of the stories of the volunteers that have, come out to serve the least of these here in our community at Christchurch, dropping off donations of food and canned goods. The men and women who have faithfully served in our food drives, packing up grocery bags filled with nutritious food to hand out to families that have found themselves in a very difficult season. I think about those people that have extended themselves to provide masks for those that couldn't get them themselves, tapping into their workplace distribution lines to donate thousands of face coverings to protect our community. Those that carefully package them and hand them out to those that are most in need. I think about those that in a time of financial insecurity have extended themselves beyond anything that they have ever done before to assure that Christ's ministry continues, that his testimony is not tainted by financial hardship, recognizing that there are others that are losing their jobs. They stand in solidarity with them in the midst of these trying times to support them in any way they can. You see, it is our challenge to like the women and Mary at the tomb recognize and own the fear but then allow the joy to triumph over it may our testimonies not be suppressed by our greed and by our fear but instead may we step boldly forth being a clear reflection of the resurrection of our risen Lord, dwelling not in the worldly emotions that berate us from all sides, but instead clinging to the truth of his resurrection and lifting up his joy in our life. We're going to have a moment now to worship together. And I wanna encourage you during this moment to sit in reflection. Perhaps that means that you sit silently with your head bowed and your eyes closed. Maybe you need to sing out loud. But take these next few moments as we praise our Lord to step beyond the fear, to embrace the joy, and to lay ourselves at the feet of our risen Lord, worshiping his name. Will you join me in a song of praise?
1: break of dawn Son of heaven
0: Step out into our worlds. May we receive this benediction. May we cling to the words of the Gospel Matthew as we seek to emulate Mary and the other women. We have just experienced the resurrection of Christ. We have reflected on and celebrated the fact that the tomb is empty and that He is risen, He is risen indeed. So may we join the women as we hurry away from the tomb, recognizing our fear yet filled with joy, to tell the disciples and the world our testimony. And we, we like them, encounter Jesus in a way that brings us to his feet in worship. May you go in peace during these trying times. Amen.